Hi, my name is Shakisa Harvey and welcome to Common Sense. Hi, my name is Ryan Hoppy. Welcome to Common Sense. Hi guys, my name is Ravan Singh and welcome to Common Sense. Welcome to episode 3 of Common Sense titled Family and Money. And on today's episode, we will be discussing finances and your family and how we navigate that equation. Of course, today's episode is sponsored by Lucasaid, M&M Snacket, Georgetown Capital, and Reminiscent GY. And we have three wonderful and amazing guests with us. You know, this season we are primarily targeting our younger generation. And we have young people on the podcast by age and by heart. And I am very privileged and honored to have with me uh, Mr. Ryan Hoppy, Mr. Kiva Harvey, and Mr. Ravin Singh as we tackle this very, very important topic. You know, from the very first episode of Common Sense, uh, when I had Mr. Will Campbell and Kush, we inadvertently talk, tackled and touched on family and money. And it's been a very, very long time since we haven't circled back there. And I think now is a perfect time for us to uh, go back there, especially coming out of our first two episodes, Friends and Money. So, talk a family member, talk your mother, father, brother, sister, uncle, wife, husband, girlfriend, boyfriend, hopefully no side piece, and invite them to Common Sense, share the links with your friends and your family, and rock and come in, grab a look at it, and let's enjoy tonight's episode. All right, so before we get deeper in our conversation. I think it's very important for the viewers to know uh, your story and where you're coming from. And that may inform some of your views that you will share as we continue our conversation. So at this point in time, very briefly, uh, don't share your entire life story in your <laughs> bio, but what was your family situation growing up and in terms of the finances? Okay, so my uh, situation changed uh, based on the different stations in life I traveled through. I'll start firstly, very briefly, yes. Um, from a child to early teens, um, I spent most of my life with my grandmother, uh, living in a home filled with my aunts, my uncles, her sister upstairs. It was a, just a big extended family situation. And that is really the illustration of the saying, it takes a village. So you had everybody pitching in, you know, my mom went away to study, so I was left in their care. Then when she returned, I went to live with her. So that is like late childhood, right up to adulthood. Um, but the common thing throughout both stages, while I live with my grandmother and my mother, is just this principle of a strong matriarch. They both, even with the presence of their spouse in the home, they always, you know, propagated the idea of the strong, independent woman. And, yeah, that's what led to me being the way I am today. Yeah. Right. Ryan? So, in interestingly, I, uh, when, I, when I thought about this question, and I was like, you know, do I really want to tell my life story? You know, because you get touchy when you talk about family, right? It's and family true. get touchy when, you know, because any of them, watching, looking at this, yes. you know. <laughs> um, but 
on a serious note, um, I grew up in a single parent home. Uh, my father was um, involved in my life, um, but I, I spent I spent uh, my years uh, from baby all the way up to adulthood with my mom uh, as the main source um, in terms of support in, in my life. Um, my father, interestingly, I have his name, um, God rest his soul. Uh, I remember a period of childhood, and you talked about stations in your life. I remember a period of childhood where there were the birthday parties, and everybody in the, in the neighborhood, you know, I grew up in Lodge, so everybody would come out and bake cakes and stuff like that. And didn't really think about it that, you know, you come from a well-to-do family in, in that regard, um, because you had a lot of things that a lot of people didn't have. And I have a sweet tooth because of my dad, because every time he traveled, back in the early 90s to the UK and you know you always come back with a black bag of chocolate and you know I, I was the one that consumed a lot of those <laughs> you know those little um, tokens as I would call them um, but that that changed as well because of investment decisions that my father made and so you get into things like saving and, and types of investments and so forth and security right financial security and so on and so I remember during my teenage years, especially the latter part of my teenage years at St. Joseph High School, where things got a bit rocky. So I know about days going to school with one side bus fare. I know about days going to school. And, you know, you're sitting down there and you're like, you know, there's no lunch in the lunch kit. But, you know, you, you, your friends are like, oh, you're not eating today. And it's like, oh, I got to study, you got to study, you know. Um, but, you know, so, so I know both sides of that coin. Um, but my mother always, you know, with faith would be like, you know, God will provide, God will provide. Um, and uh, so, yeah, pretty much hard work and education was education. one of the things that she really said. She's like, you know, you got to finish this. You got to go through, you know. And once you, and I, I've seen it, once you commit to that, um, come out with my CXCs and so forth, and that was really an opening for where I'm at today. Were you aware of that shift from having... So when you were in your high school days where things weren't as bright, as a young man, were you aware that things have changed financially for your family? Or? Yes, uh, it, it was not lost on me. I don't think it was lost on any of my siblings either because, um, you know, I, I, I come from a family where I'm the eldest of three, but I have uh, seven brothers and five sisters overall. Put it that way. Mm. Compliments to my dad. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, one of the things that my mother would sit and she would tell us plain. She's like, "Listen, this is the situation right now. This is what this is what we have. This is what we gotta be do with. This is what you gotta budget." You know. So, there were days where you sit down and you'd be like, "Okay, yes, this is changing." But also, what was very evident in in, in that entire um, lived experience is that people began to change as well. Because in the stage where it was bountiful, you had bountiful networks of people around you. Mm -hmm. And then when things began to change, that, all, that, that dwindled as well. And so you, you didn't really grasp it as a child where I was like, why, you know, auntie so and so ain't coming mm -hmm. wrong. And not necessarily my mom's sister or my father's sister, but, you know, adults. Or why, you know, uncle so and so is not being around or you're not seeing them anymore or there's no communication. You're not going by them anymore mm -hmm. and these kind of things. Um, and that speaks to a lot of things when you talk about status and all these different things. Um, and thinking about it now on the show, yeah. it's really making a lot of sense in terms of um, really identifying it at that point and, and 
you know, as an adult. Shakisa, in in your family, I know you mentioned that you had a very large family. Did you guys have any discussions about money and your financial situation? Were you aware of what is going on? Actually, no. At neither of the stations in my life, while I lived in the extended family home of my grandmother and her sister in Linden, and then when I moved with my mom and my later stepfather together, and neither of the two families discussed it. It was like, it, it was taboo. I just knew that all my needs were being met, uh, that of my siblings as well. And, you know, I was comfortable. I lacked the, nothing. Uh, I was going to school. And I, I, fortunately, I had everything I needed. And, yeah, I just knew that I was being provided for. Mommy never said, oh, I do this. This is what happens. I stitch this together. I pull it from here, dear. I just was provided for. And Never had a discussion. As, <laughs> as a parent now, how important do you think it is to have these conversations with uh, your family? Uh, as, as your family grows, how important it is? And do you plan on having these conversations from an early age with your, with your children? Yes, uh, it is very important. Um, Looking at my own self, I must admit, um, full disclosure here, when I first got my first paycheck, I just went and I spent and I spent and I spent and I just had this bad habit of spending and spending and spending. And perhaps that was an, um, you know, a for me not having learned at an early age what to do with my finances, how to invest and so. So definitely a stepping stone from the knowledge I got from my mistakes. I will be inviting my daughters, my own daughters, in that discussion and furthering their financial literacy and catering for the future and, you know, all the vicissitudes of life, the demands that may come with that, you know, changing circumstances, health-wise. You know, life throws unexpected curveballs at you and you must be able to have an emergency fund, you know, life insurance and all these things that I am now being very conscious of, I plan to pass down to them so they can pass down to them to their own children in the future. Uh, well, to be honest, it's, it's not an experience I've actually ever shared, um, you know, growing up, what our financial situation really was. And it's not because it was something I was ashamed of. It's just that I never really had the opportunity to, you know, share it with my friends or anything like that. But life was, I would say, pretty tough growing up. Uh, I grew up in a single parent home um, for most of my years in school. My mother was unemployed, um, so you know we had to make much with what we had, of course. And only about two days ago, I was sharing with a friend. I remember there was a period in high school. I think it was form one. Um, Shikiza was in class with my sister, and I'm pretty sure you didn't. You wouldn't have known this. But for a couple of months, uh, we lived in an abandoned apartment. So there was no running water, there was no electricity. Um, and so to iron our clothes in the morning, we'd have to go by the neighbor to iron our school clothes. And our shirts were white because we, we attended Bishop. So every day, you know, you want to have a clean shirt. So you'd wash your shirt in the afternoon at the pipe because there was no running water in the apartment. Um, and then you'd iron at the neighbor next morning to get to school. So, but I think those were 
values which cemented in our life the need to be financially secured and stable so moving ahead you don't want your family to have that same lived experience you know that you did so that's what really that's what it it, it really taught me those experiences there's a famous song by Jamil and it goes like this do you remember me no i don't where were you when my mama was hungry my youth and the lyrics from that song are very powerful because it speaks to the experience of a young artist going out of the ghetto, achieving some level of success and uh, fame, and being bombarded with persons asking for favors and for money and just wanting to be around him because of his newfound success. For you, Ryan, um, having a senior portfolio and dealing with friends and family who may approach you for sponsorship for a specific event or a program or initiative that they want to, to launch. And the merit of the proposal may not be strong, may not be feasible, may not be viable. And on that criteria, you would explain to them that, hey, we can't sponsor this. And you explain to them why. And in many cases, family members may feel slighted. They may feel as though because you've attained a certain level of success as they perceive it, you forgot about them or you don't care about them or you, might, you, you migrate a different grouping of class or friends or whatever. And a relationship may go sour. Have you have ever had any experience with that in terms of having friends and family approach you and you may not have been able to come through for them like they expected? So, interestingly, um, when we think about family and friends, you use the word merit. That's one of the things that I value a lot. Um, sponsorship is an interesting, <laughs> it's an interesting portfolio that you know, I share at the company that I work for. And I've had a couple of persons approach me. You know, one of the things that we are um, open to is receiving proposals for you know, anything, you know, that you any idea that you might have or something that you conceive and you want to birth or you want to, you know, materialize in some way or the other. Reality is not all of those things are aligned with the company's policy or the trajectory in terms of where we're going for the specific types of sponsorships that we that we do. And so it goes through the process. And so I explain to family, I explain to friends, I explain to associates, there's a process. And it's standard, you have to go through the process. I'm not, I, I, there's no me pulling a favor for you. There is no me talking to the boss, you know, or saying, hey, let's, let's get this done. Because for everything that I go to my, my uh, superiors for, in terms of sponsorship, I need to be able to justify it as well as to why I think it's important to sponsor this. Mm -hmm. And if I don't believe in something and if I don't see the value in it, it may be a good idea, but it doesn't make business sense or it doesn't have the impact or the outcomes that you would hope it would have. It doesn't really speak to that. And so I have to be real about, you know, when we review things and when we go to present it to, to 
you know, my superiors say, well, hey, this makes sense. We should, we should invest in this. But there's a criteria that that goes through before you even get to that point. And so it's really merit-based. And a lot of times, you know, yeah, I understand, I understand. But then you might get a cold shoulder afterwards or you get invited to the <laughs> event, you know, the birthday party or you're going outside and, you know, you outside too, but, you know, you're all outside in different places, you know. Um, but Matthew, if I can add, what I found since I've been working with the company is quite a lot of people approaching about jobs. Not so much sponsorship, jobs. And so that is something that people, there's a famous saying, you know, um, it's who you know, right? Or it's mm -hmm. who know you. Mm -hmm. And it's all about the links, mm -hmm. right? But the story that I use is my personal story. I had no link in the oil and gas sector. I saw the vacancy on Facebook. I read the vacancy post. I realized that I met the criteria and I decided to apply. And one of the things that worked in my favor, because it was very last day that I saw the post, that in terms of the deadline date, and the thing that worked in my favor is that I had a CV, I had my master CV. And so I was able to go to that and pull out the aspects that were required for that specific job and tailored my CV and applied for that job. Mm -hmm. And then when it was shortlisted, I went through the interviews and everything, just as everybody else did. And so I use that story when I talk to my friends, I talk to my family about applying for a job in the oil and gas sector anyway, because you know I, I know a lot of people, and so you really want to be able to help people as you know as as you go about life, as you navigate life, and so forth. But at the same time, you have to work for it. There is there is a there is there is a sense of you know I would say completion when you know that you have invested your time and your effort in working for something that you that you have. And so there's no time I'm looking over my shoulder like I owe anybody anything because guess what? I'm here because I deserve to be here. I'm in the room because I work to be in the room. And so I let not just my qualifications, but my experiences and everything that I stand for, my values as well, speak for me. And so me not being able to help you is one thing in that regard because I can't pull and give you a job. But I made the offer. Let me look at your CV. Let's sit down and talk about why you want this job. And oftentimes the first thing is money, buddy, money, right? And so we have we joined that conversation about looking beyond just earning a salary to talking about does it really fit with your purpose in life and where you're looking to go? Mm -hmm. But yeah, you know, I'm, I'm st I think I think we're still you know me and my friends and family the ones that have asked I think we're still good, um, but some people tell you plain and straight, but you could do something for your friend, my wife, man. Don't don't tell me that. It's a reality merit. Have you ever had any of those experiences and uh, has it affected any of your friendships and family whereby you couldn't have come through for them in the way that they wanted? It has. I mean, you're speaking both personally and professionally yeah. or only personally? Professionally, primarily. Right. So, so yes, in, in, in both aspects of my life, professionally and personally, um, I've had encounters like that. Um, at the office, we get it very often. Is everybody that has a proposal. Everybody has a proposal <laughs> that wants that or needs funding for something. The reality is, you know, resources are limited. They're not infinite. So, um, you know, I, I love to use this term ROI, return on investment. investment. So that's how I tend to look at life. You know, even with my time, not just financial resources. And if I'm going to get returns, and those returns doesn't necessarily have to mean money. 
but if I'm going to get returns on my investment, then it makes sense. And that's how I treat situations like those. When it comes to the office, it's not at my discretion. We're talking about the government office. And so it's really what's in the best interest of the state, what makes sense for the state and the people. So if it's not viable, regardless of who that person is, if it's a family member, a friend, a diplomat, a senior government official, if it just doesn't make sense, then it doesn't make sense. And personally, I treat all friendships the same, very professionally, and in some cases, I'm very transactional. So if it doesn't make sense, much I'm not going to beat around the bush. <laughs> and I'm not going to sell you dreams, because I wouldn't want people to do that to me. And I think what is really important is having that level of maturity to accept that, listen, you might submit something that, you know, it's not financially viable, regardless of how you look at it. And so work needs to be done to bring it up to where it needs to be. I think the essence of what I've gotten from both of you is that, and I think viewers need to know this, not because you're in a position, one means that you have absolute control over the decision making. Mm -hmm. Many times we, you would have to go to a superior for approval. Superior may not see eye to eye with you on that specific proposal. And people need to know that you shouldn't be burdening persons or fighting them down or telling them that they're rich and switch or you don't have time with us anymore because your proposal might not based on any merit be viable. So in many cases, it's not a case whereby persons are fighting you down. You just have to go back to the drawing board as the Amazon warriors have to say <laughs> and come back with a better proposal, maybe next time you may get the funding that you deserve. And even in some cases, the budget may have already been expended. Mm -hmm. um, you might submit a proposal in December. Monies have already been allocated. And you tell your cousin, hey, we don't have a budget. And it's nothing personal. You shouldn't feel a way that, you know, the person is not trying to help you. Just be mature and understand uh, this situation. So I think that's a very important point and I hear it from a lot of persons that would have succeeded in life about some of the challenges that they get from family members and friends. Mm -hmm. uh, Ravin, you mentioned your tough upbringing. What were some lessons, financial lessons and life lessons that you would have learned from, from that situation? Boy, there were a lot. There was so much, um, but, but I, I don't want to give this perception, or I hope there isn't a misconception that life has always been tough. tough. It's not. But I, I think the most valuable lessons were extracted from those experiences, from the tough situations. Um, so there were good moments, you know, when you were relatively comfortable um, and happy, of course. Uh, but I think some, some valuable lessons which came out of that was I think number one is to be content with what you have. And, and I still take that with me. You know, I often tell people, I don't even own a credit card. I, I may get one, uh -huh. but for me, I only want to spend what I have. Okay. And, and, and it's different for people. It's okay if you know, they want to use a credit card and then repay it. It works for people. But for me personally, I'm only going to buy what I can afford. I'm not going to spend and then, you know. Um, and so, apart from being content, it, it really 
as I, as I mentioned earlier, it taught me the importance of financial stability in the home and what you can accomplish when you have financial stability. A financially stable home is a happy home, Matthew. Definitely. It is a, it is a happy home, right? Um, because you don't have to wake up worrying about where your next meal is coming from or, you know, who's going to buy your school clothes, who's going to pay the bills, whether mommy is going to have enough time to spend with you because, you know, she has to work three, four jobs to, to pay the bills. So, you know, those are lessons that, that were imparted in, in me at a very early age, ones that I will take with me throughout. Amazing. Now, as we continue our conversation, and this is, is an open question uh, to the panel, I know each one of us, or at least I would hope, we have interest in having our own families at some point in time. She's already taking the lead in the race. What lessons would you hope to impart to your children? Uh, financial lessons, that is, to ensure that, one, they don't become spoiled. Because I think many times, because we don't want them to experience what we went through growing up, we go tilt to the opposite spectrum. <laughs> and we can raise some spoiled brats. And I, I don't necessarily think that that's something that we should want for our children. So how do you... Not put them through what you went through, but also not go to the opposite spectrum and spoil them. How do you have that balance? That is a hard question. <laughs> I would love to hear the answer from these two gentlemen because I have two girls and I, I must confess that I am heading down that line of <laughs> severely spoiling them. And of course, their grandmothers spoil them too. So I don't know. I need to draw. I need to draw a line somewhere so guys <laughs> I, I mean i don't i don't have i don't have kids of my own yet right mm -hmm. um, but i do have i have several nieces remember my family's big right <laughs> but there's one that's pretty close that's pretty close to me um she's six years old um as a matter of fact i think i got it wrong y'all please forgive me if y'all watch this thing <laughs> right no she is six years old uh, she's gonna be seven in january and she is a little chatterbox and she speaks her mind, which, which I love about her. She, you know, she, she talks and she says what's on her mind. Um, she loves boosters. I think <laughs> she has her uncle's sweet tooth as well. You know, so that's the first thing whenever, whenever I go to visit, the first thing she's like, are you going to go get boosters? <laughs> um, and oftentimes I would spoil her. So I would take her and I would, you know, take her to buy boosters and so forth. And one of the things that, even at Brewster's, one of the lessons that I, that, I, that I teach her is that, you know, you have to know what you want in life, right? And so that starts with choosing your flavors. So, yeah, we go into Brewster's and, you know, she stand up there and she'd be like, you know, she wants cotton candy. And it's like, you got three scoops. You're going to take all three scoops and cotton candy? She's like, yes. I'm like, you don't want some vanilla or some chocolate or Oreo? No, I want three scoops of cotton candy. All right, that's what you get, three scoops of cotton candy. But there are days when, you know, I would go over and I would say, okay, so she wants Brewster's and she wants KFC. You've got to make a decision. Mm -hmm. You can't get both because mm -hmm. uncle ain't got money for both, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I can afford to buy both, but guess what? You've got to understand that you have to make the discipline of, you know, making certain choices. You know, you've got to negotiate. You've got to choose which is priority for you right now. And as much as it's, you know, it's a sweet tooth or some chicken, you know, you have to learn that, that discipline early on. Mm -hmm. In addition to that, 
we do we do have to talk about savings, right? And so oftentimes I would ask her, so how much money you got right now? And she's all excited to tell me how much she got from the last time I asked in terms of where she got now. Right? Sometimes, you know, she got a little she got a little bag, you know, so <laughs> like, you wanna borrow, you know, a little bag. But there are times when I would have difficult conversations with her as well. It's like, okay, you know what, we can't go for a drive right now because you know, uncle got, th- you know, things to do. I, I got to go to work and so You always work and tell your boss, give you some time off. You know, she's a little chatterbox like that. Um, or I would say, well, no ice cream this weekend. Uncle ain't got it in the budget for this weekend. Mm-hmm. And so she can get upset. She can frown. She can puff up. And then I would be like, so what do you want me to do about that? Mm-hmm. Do you want to spend your, no, you work and you're supposed to got money. I was like, well, I don't have it right now. <laughs> right? And so we have those conversations. And I think it's important at her age, even at six, um, to understand that when you navigate life, you have to make decisions, mm-hmm. right? And so when I, when I talked to her, one of the things, like, you know, I, I just recently bought a new vehicle. And one of the things that I said to her is, like, you know, Uncle's saving for this, this thing. So, you know, I can't spoil you every weekend, Bruce's and so forth. So she was able to see this new vehicle materialize eventually. Because mm-hmm. we had chats. You know, I take her to school every morning, or most mornings. And so I was like, you, you like this one or you like that one? Which one? Do you, you think this is a nice vehicle? She's like, oh, yeah, yeah, this one's a nice one, you know? And so when I got the vehicle and, you know, she saw it, she started beaming. And the first thing she jumped in, she turned, turned on the AC. And she's like, oh, yeah, this is better than your old car. <laughs> like, yes, you know, we have, we have that moment. And that brings me to, the, to a very important point, and I'll cut here because I don't have kids, you know? Mm-hmm. But um, when you talk about making decisions, you talk about being disciplined and prioritizing. We talk back, we circle back to where you want to go in life. And every morning when I get up, I have, I have my little whiteboard in, in you know, my second room. And on that, you know, there are visuals there. There are different things there. And some of them are materialistic. I, I, you know, um, of course, you need, you know, I want my own home and, and stuff like that. The vehicle, by the way, was one of the things on it for this year as well. So I scratched mm-hmm. it out of the list. You know, well, I didn't scratch it, you know, the little dry erase marker thing, <laughs> you know, put it there. But, you know, that reminds me I have to make some financial decisions. Mm-hmm. And there are times when I tell my friends and my niece, like, yo, I'm broke. I'm not broke. I'm B-R-O-Q-U-E, right? <laughs> I- I'm broke. And that I didn't really budget for this. Right. I'm not going to spend this. And that's a hard lesson that, I, that I've had to teach her. And she gets it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nice. Okay. Note taken. <laughs> <laughs> you want to cut anything, Robin? Absolutely not. I'm going to say this. <laughs> All right, so as, and this is again speaking to having your own family in the future, and this one is directed to the, to the men. Men are commonly known as the providers, the breadwinner, breadwinner for the family, <laughs> quote unquote. The only thing is that changing now, so those familiar situations are also changing. But is there a specific amount that you want to see in your bank account or a specific situation that you want to be in before you make that decision to start your own family, knowing the experiences you've had as a child? Absolutely, Matthew. Um, I, think, I think that is very, very important for me personally. Um, of course, people have their own ideas of what they want to accomplish and achieve you know, before they marry or they want to be together, you know, different formulas work for different people. Correct. For me, I think it's it's very important that I position myself 
um, properly. We're to a point where I am what I deem to be financially secured um, before I head into marriage. The reality is, as funny as it sounds, I ain't taking nobody, girl, child, uh-huh. out of comfort to put them in less than what they were accustomed to. Period. That's big. Absolutely, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And, and unless I know I have the ability and the capabilities of doing that, of accomplishing that, that's when I'm going to head into marriage. So there are targets that I need to hit before I make that step to marry and start my own family. And so I start by saying, you know, it's an interesting, very interesting question. And a question because, you know, you go through your dating period and so on. And when you're dating, then you really get a chance to really understand not just your own financial habits, but also, you know, your partner's financial habits. And I've been in situations where I was thinking, like, you know what? <laughs> if we get married, we don't run back girl, right? Because love is a funny thing, right? Or so it so it seems, you know, like, you know, when 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 the person that you're with, you know, you love and you, you know, you you know you want to spoil, you want to spoil, you want to, you know, or there, there might be things that they consider emergency and so forth. And, you, you know, you want to provide those things and so on. Um, and sometimes you put the sound financial habits on pause. Mm-hmm. You put it in a safe and you say, mm-hmm. for today. But for today becomes tomorrow and the day after. And so that begins a cycle. And it can become very much, you know, ingrained, you don't you don't even realize it that you've changed your financial habits, and so I've been there, you know. And um, suffice to say that I've always been aware of it. And so when you break up mm-hmm. and you know you go your separate ways and you start counting back on your investments and you're like, is this really a wise investment or not? And then you you have to you have to deal with the reality that you know. Before you get to marriage, there's that period of dating as well, and what that looks like in terms of what you bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, for me, I can say safely, I'm not there. That I, you know, it's like okay, I'm I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be honest. I'm not there where I want to say, well, hey, we're taking it to the next step because we're going towards marriage, because there's still there's still things that I want to achieve. My vision board is still there, and there are things on my vision board that I want to achieve myself not being selfish mm-hmm. but these are things that for me I see value in me achieving I want to be able to to structure it how I want to be able to structure it I want to be able to do it within the comfort of my timeline I've had friends that said to me hey when you're changing the old car about hey, you got a car 14 years or eight years or how much ever years you know and I'm like the car give me no trouble so why do I need to change it Correct. right so we're all on our own timelines we have our own timelines we have our own goals and so forth and so for me I'm comfortable in saying hey I'm not ready, and so I'm I'm focused on achieving those things. People say, "You always working, always working, sit down, relax, you know, do these things." But then the also the other important thing right now, quickly, as they're not going on and on and on, um, is oftentimes when you find yourself in certain positions professionally, mm-hmm. right, in terms of you know your social status and so forth, your social capital and so on, it becomes a very difficult um, game in deciphering when somebody wants you. 
How do you want your money? Mm. Right? And I know that's not a question that you're asking directly, but that in itself oftentimes is something that I look for and I look at. And so for a very long time, my pockets would usually be tight, you know, because I can see if you if you play in the, you know, get rich scheme game or whatever, or you know, you're there for me, right? Um, it, it's a it's a really delicate balance. Might have to bring Ryan back when I'm doing relationship and finance. <laughs> Seems to be very expert in that area. But the, what you just mentioned is also very important, and I think this can lead into my next question concerning. Family members wanting to borrow money. Um, <laughs> in Guyana, especially, I don't know that you uh, you can live in Guyana. I've not heard a story about a family member borrowing money from some family member and never paying them back, or you have to run them back down for your money, or you just have to count your losses. Mm -hmm. um, and I've also seen become very common is something that we call financial enablement. Mm -hmm. Whereby the person knows or perceives that you're making a bag and they know that you're a gracious, you're a kind person, they start to abuse it. They feel mm -hmm. en enabled to your money mm -hmm. or they feel as though they're somehow working for it like you, so they deserve it all the time. Mm -hmm. Uncles, aunts, mother, father, you see these things happening. How do you prevent yourself from becoming an enabler? And uh, when it comes to bar, family members wanting to borrow money, how do you guys handle those situations to ensure that there is no friction or acrimony in the relationship? Firstly, for me, I think you should nip it in the bud. The first time they come up, come around you and they, they ask you, you know, you let them know, you know, this is my principle. I don't lend. Why do you need the money? I don't just lend money willy-nilly, you know. I have things that I've, I've budgeted for. And if it's not accounted for in my budget, it's not something that I can afford, I'm not going to lend you. And if I lend you, these are my terms and my expectations. You're going to pay me back by X time. You don't pay me back by exam and add on 10 more interest. I ain't taking more interest. I ain't working at the bank for no reason, you know? And you, you need to draw the line at the very first ask, the very first request, so that you remove any sense of entitlement that may even start to brew unknowing to you. That's my, that's my take. Well, first of all, let me just put something. I don't make a bag. <laughs> <laughs> I don't make a bag. Um... But I, I, I totally agree with Shikisa. I think establishing boundaries is so, so important with family members. Because like you said, you know, some of them feel entitled naturally, especially if they've had an input in your life at an early age. And not necessarily a financial input, but morally, you know, they would have been around and, you know, <clears throat> they feel like, you know, it's your time to repay them or their time to benefit from whatever they would have contributed to your life. That, that's not the case. That's not the case. And I'm, I'm aware of the fact that, you know, you have, we all are, you have genuine cases where family members do need that support. Definitely. You know, they really do need that support. And it comes back to your, um, to the individual and your discretion, whether, you know, you're willing to lend or for how long. 
um, so it's it's not a one formula or, or one method or one approach to such an issue, you know, because there's so much variables involved. Um, personally, for me, what I've started doing, if, if I lend money, I write it off. So if I can't afford to write it off, I'm not going to lend because I, I don't lend with the expectation of getting it because of bad experiences. At least 90 to 95% of my experiences have been bad. You know, lending and not getting it back. And I end up being the one feeling bad to ask back people for my money. <laughs> like, so ashamed, you know, to message in, like, you owe me, you know? <laughs> right? So if, if I can't afford to give you that money, I'm not going to lend. Um, that works for me. So that's my approach. I'm going to share a quick story. I shared on Facebook several weeks ago. Several years ago, I I had a an MP3 player, and my cousin wanted to borrow this MP3 player. So he asked me to borrow this MP3 player, and I, I lent him the MP3, the MP3 player. You know, cousin, you know, oh. good, you know. And um, my favorite cousin. And when he returned it, it was broken. So I said to him, I said, "What is?" And then he just saying this good walking thing. Dog, when you bring this thing back, the man turned to me and man said, You know, I destructive. And you can lend me, you think? What? <laughs> right? We, we, we're good. We're good. This is, this, is years, this is a years old story, right? But that taught me a valuable lesson about lending money or lending anything that, you know, that I've worked hard for um, or that was given to me and, and has value, right? And people often say, you know, then your family is your family. At the end of the day, it's your family, it's your own blood, and so forth. But, you know, as we talked about enabling culture and so on, they don't learn if you're lending, they're not repaying, they're not making better financial decisions yeah. about their own money. And so, like Ravin said, you know, if, I, if I'm going to lend, I write it off. Mm -hmm. And I don't make it a practice to lend. I am off. My favorite word is I'm broke. Mm -hmm. And I don't make a bag. <laughs> right? I mean, some people, you know, yeah. But for me, and people often say, you know, you know, children are investments and so forth, and you know, there's a social moral contract that you know, I've been there, I've invested in your education, I've done this and that for you. So, you know, you're supposed to be there to to repay, mm -hmm. you know, or if I come and borrow, it shouldn't be a problem and so forth. But the reality of it is. You, you've got to draw that line, and it's a case-by-case -case basis. Mm -hmm. You've got to know when you're getting back your money. Mm -hmm. and even sometimes, you know, this is a particular one that, you know, you know, Shakisa was talking about just now, and she said, you know, I need to know when, and you got to tell me when you're giving back and so forth. But that contract is not even binding on people as well. Yeah. And you run into a lot of trouble with family and friends a lot of times because, hey, you say you're going to repay me. I borrow money from you. You can run into problems like that as well. And so I don't make it a practice to lend mm -hmm. um, money. I, I, I'd rather give you or I, or I don't have. Mm -hmm. or, yep. or if it is that you need something that this money is going for and I could give you that thing, mm -hmm. you'll get the thing. Importantly to, to Macho, I just want to add quickly, um, you know, I think when we speak in the general context of family, I think it applies to parents as well. So it's not just siblings or aunt or uncle, but your parents. Because they, they too feel entitled to, you know, the spoils uh -huh. um, because of their contribution to your life. And I'll concede that to some extent they have a right to that claim, not necessarily a money to demand it, 
But if you're living with them, obviously, you know, there is an expectation for you to contribute to the home, Definitely. to the bills, you know, these sort of things. So it's a legitimate expectation. Um, but in terms of making demands when it comes to your income for their personal lives, you know, for them to party and buy clothes. And if it's a case where they can do better, right, or they're swindling you as we would like to put it. I've, 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 I've seen countless cases. I have friends who, you know, they, their parents do that to them, swindle them because they're making a little bit of money now. You know, they expect it to you know, buy this for them and buy that. And the parents can't afford it for themselves. But they, they leverage the fact that this is my child. I invested how many years into your life. I afforded you an education. Which is a right that that child was entitled to in the first place. So it's not that, you know, you went outside of the norm to get that done. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I think establishing those boundaries, even with parents, very, very important. Yeah, before we proceed, I've just put a disclaimer out there. No family member of mine ever asked me for money. <laughs> this is me, hypothetically speaking. Okay, family, who I have to tune in. Well, all right, I'm just saying, if I'm put in the situation, <laughs> what I would do, so y'all know. Okay, well, I mean, my MP3 player was broken. <laughs> but yeah. All right, so I, I think that setting boundaries is what I got from, from everyone. Because without boundaries, people begin to feel it's an accepted uh, procedure. Mm -hmm. And they will continue to, to abuse it until uh, it becomes, until the wheels fall off, as we would say. Well, Machu, I, I, I really got to add in, in this, in the sense that, you know, there's a sense of, like, it's all about a moral contract that you have, right? And I've been in situations, not necessarily my immediate family but you know there's a sense of guilt when you don't do it mm -hmm. right and that guilt as well can make you put your financial habits into a box you know and, you know disregard them or, or put them on pause and it's something that I had to learn pretty early on right in terms of um, when I say pretty early on I'm talking recently mm. <laughs> in that you you got to get out of that cycle of, of feeling guilty. Like you, the world is supposed, your family's world or worlds, you know, are supposed to be on your shoulders, right? We all make our decisions. We make choices and so forth. Again, I wouldn't see, you know, a family member out there, you know, begging scraps or struggling and so forth. But as, as, as Raffin put it, you know, if you're, if you're making poor financial decisions, why am I enabling you? Mm -hmm. Right. And so we need to strike that balance in realizing, you know, saying no is OK. Right. And so whoever is looking at it, this, this, this podcast, you know, saying no is OK. Right. And yes, you will feel that because that's your connection. That's your family. That's your root. But if you continue doing that, you're going to you're going to be digging a hole for yourself. Right. That you yourself will not be able to be financially stable. And if you are not financially stable, you can't be able to brace them when they really need the brace either. Right, so don't get a trip yourself, and and don't allow yourself to be manipulated because many times the guilt tripping and the manipulation is what will force you to put your values on the back burner and give in, and then you 
see that cycle continues to repeat itself and your personal life goals, your family goals for your own family are put on the back burner because you've been enabling and you've been going out of your way to support your dysfunctional family members. So it's very important to not allow yourself to be manipulated. And that is some introspection, internal conversations that you would need to have with yourself to prevent yourself from falling in that cycle. I think in Guyana, you often hear the phrase, uh, I make you, <laughs> so you got mind me. Um, I, I've read posts on social media whereby parents have said, because I only had one shoe to go to school with, I just buy one pair of boots for you, and you want to experience what I went through so that you can learn and all that kind of stuff. Um, what are your views on that, and is that the right way to do things? We could start with the parents on the panel. Absolutely not. I don't think that's the right way. Um, my general outlook towards money and finances when it comes to my family and my children is for them to have a better life than what I had, right? I don't want them to, you know, feel to be even reminded constantly of the things I was deprived of as a child because that can create anxiety in them and, you know, fear about money and, and the future. And, you know, they can turn into workaholics instead of appreciating life and living according to their purpose and their dreams. They're now striving towards accumulating and amassing this great amount of wealth so I don't end up like mommy. So the first thing I would do is to not let them know in great detail what struggles I may or may not have experienced. I would let them know that, yes, life was hard. I went down a difficult road, a difficult path, so they can appreciate where I, where I am now and what I have and be able to value it without squandering. Oh, there I answered the first question about how I can teach my girls not to become spoiled. So, yeah, that's my takeaway. Yeah, I mean... You know, when when you when you when you think about it, um, there's a way to teach the lesson without having them experience the trauma that you've experienced, and that's what we want ultimately, right? We want you know our, our, our kids, we want our nieces and nephews, we want them to learn those valuable lessons that we learned. Mm -hmm. but not necessarily through the process that we went through to learn those lessons. Because a lot of those experiences, when we think back about them, you know, they were traumatic, you know, they were things that you, you, you wouldn't want anybody to go through those things. And so, you know, there are days when I'm going to pick up my niece and I'm going to carry her and I'm going to be like, without her asking for boosters or just pop up and bring boosters or call her and say, hey, what flavors do you want in boosters? And then there are days when I'm like, you got to make that decision. This or that, yeah. right? Um, because there were days when we had to make those decisions as well, right? You can't go to Igloo on Camp Street at the time. I started to age myself, but you know, <laughs> you can't you can't go there and you know, you, or you, you didn't see ice cream for a couple of weeks or or months and so forth, um, because it's just in there. The money in there for that, right. right? Or you got two school shirts and you're doing the wash, you know, and you hang out the ones tonight and you wear the next one the next day and so forth. I mean, those are, listen, you can make those decisions to have your child have a comfortable life, value financial stability and security, 
and all those things without having to put them through some of the experiences that you've gone through, right? Or that we've gone through in, in life, mm -hmm. so in, in different, in different, um, in different um, stages. And so my, my thing is, think about how you can teach that lesson that you've learned from your hardship without putting your child through that hardship. Mm -hmm. You want to contribute or? No, no, I okay. think it was summed up. All right, so okay. as we begin to, to wind down tonight's program, there are two ends of the spectrum that persons from underprivileged uh, communities and persons who grew up in tough situations most often tend to fall on if they don't achieve that balance. Many times if you don't have it at a young age, you and when you get it, you either hoard it or spend it recklessly. Financial hoarding and compulsive spending. Um, the reason you would want to hoard it is because you never had it, and now that you have it, you don't want to lose it. Mm -hmm. So you save everything, even to the detriment of living a comfortable life. I know mm -hmm. some persons have millions in their bank accounts, and the slippers are the underwear got holes and that kind of stuff. Sorry for being so graphic, right? Because <laughs> that's the reality, right? And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, there are persons who now have it and they want to prove to the world, all right, well, I have it now, so. Uh, full bling out jewelry, the latest, everything, brand name, everything. And not that I'm saying anything is wrong with that, but where it becomes wrong is when you're doing it to prove to persons that you have it, and it's also putting you in a, in a terrible financial situation, especially as it relates to your future. So how do you navigate that line and not fall on any of those spectrums? Because both can be devastating to your, to your life. This is a tough one. <laughs> it's a loaded question. And, and, and you're speaking specifically to persons from underprivileged communities or generally? I think generally, mm. you don't, the hoarding aspect, right. you don't often find persons who grew up comfortably just hoarding because they've always had it, so they're not inclined to you know, be just saving, 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 saving. Right. Um, so I think the question might be best suited to persons who would have grown up in tough situations. Yeah. I know I can speak for myself. Right. Uh, when I started working, I fell on the spectrum of hoarding. I sometimes would skip lunch, um, don't have a social life because I just wanted to save so that... Not that I ever grew up in a terrible or a I had any situations whereby I didn't have food on the table or I didn't have clothes to go to school or whatever. Yeah. But there was a period after I wrote CXC, um, family situations changed, businesses may have faltered and I didn't have it like how I had it while I was going to school. Yeah. So that coincided with the same period that I started to work. And because of that you wanted to save everything, also you're pursuing tertiary education, 
at that point, my mother was also pursuing tertiary education. So both of us were going to UG at the same time. So you just wanted everything that, the little that you made, you wanted to save. And I'm no longer at that position. Um, there are some moments, and I think you need to give yourself grace along this financial journey. There are some moments that you have the desire to switch. And I, any, anywhere I'm invited to speak or anything, if I'm counseling somebody financially or whatever, I let them know that there are certain times that I splurge. I remember in 2019, I went to Barbados. And anytime I travel, I make bad financial decisions. Right? I know it. I can't, I haven't been able to help it yet. But I went to Barbados in 2019 and I literally came back home broke. Not B R O Q U Q U E, but B R O K E. And I could remember it was so bad that at the airport, my aunt gave me 100 US and said, go back home with this. And I was like, I really don't, I just want to spend this money right now. So I spent 100 US at the airport, bought books, cologne, whatever else. Now make it into check-in and realize the flight was delayed for about four hours after I spent all that money. And I literally couldn't afford a bottle of water. Wow. I went on that flight dehydrated, empty, because I didn't have anything. So I've had my periods whereby I would have been hoarding and also spending recklessly. Not that I spend because I wanted to prove. I just like to spend when I'm on a vacation yeah. to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. right? So I think it's important that you don't fall on any of those spectrums because it can be dysfunctional. Um, to your future financial stability. Mm -hmm. I don't know if any of you guys have ever had any of those experiences. It's so interesting. Uh, I remember when I when I studied when I when I read for my master's degree, and fortunate to be on the on the evening scholarship. Every month, evening secretary would put a fixed sum of money into your bank account. <laughs> it was enough to live on Robin. It was. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I, you, you were okay to live comfortably, okay. you know. I mean, but you went into H&M and, and you looked at the stuff and then you said, well, on this particular budget, I can't afford you now, but I come back when you're on sale, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but that was a period for me, I, I think, that, that taught me a lot of um, valuable lessons about spending and hoarding as well, because... When that money comes into your account, you got the first thing comes out is your rent. You mm. gotta pay that rent. That rent, you 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 don't even have a choice. It comes out direct deposit, right? Mm -hmm. Automatic. Mm -hmm. So you might see the little big chunk, and then all of a sudden it's. Mm -hmm. um, and then I had one of my one of my colleagues, Guyanese guy. Every month, every we get the little money, we would go and we would sit down, we would trick yourself to something. But then during the month, we cook in, we do now, we gotta do and so forth. Um, and interestingly, that worked for that entire year, right? It was, it was a very manageable process. Coming back home and getting my first big work, you know, collecting that for a salary, you know, the consultancy money and so forth. I was like, I worked hard, you know? I did my master's and, you know, it's like, I deserve to splurge, yeah. you know? And then you go on your little splurging spree. And then you realize that you're B-R-O-K-E, right? Mm -hmm. So, you, you know, you're broke. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, I've been on both ends of that spectrum, right? In terms of like 
pouring up, pouring up, pouring up, and then on, you know, the other end where I'm spending, spending, spending. I have something that works for me, and it might not work for everybody. But my equation is, I sit down and I think about it, and I was like, you know what? I can spend X amount of money every month, and then I look back, I don't know where it's gone, right? Now, I don't be out, I ain't calling places, mm -hmm. but I don't be out at bars, you know, and the Hennessy's and all of and nothing is wrong. Everybody enjoy the life, you know, have a grand time, right? But for me, that doesn't work for me, mm -hmm. right? But the money still goes somewhere, right? And what I realized is, I started to think, I'm going to take this money, I'm going to put it somewhere else into something. I'd rather, I'd rather know that, you know, I'm not stressing about, oh, I don't have this money, and be thinking about, I've invested it in this asset, yeah. right? The same, you know, the same, the same money is diverting to something different, right? You're still in, you're still in splurging, you're in hoarding, but it's there, it's, it's either working for me, or it's, it's benefiting me in some way or the other. And I think it's, I think it's a, it's a, sometimes it's, it's not just a quick fix in terms of like, I want to be on this, or I'm on the spending or on the hoarding, but as you said, it's a spectrum. So you find yourself, but you have to be conscious as, as you go, you know, where am I, where am I right now? Am yes. I, am I gravitating more towards the splurging end or am I gravitating towards the hoarding end? Mm -hmm. And am I really where I want to be? Right? Because maybe the middle is it. Maybe it's closer to the, the other end because we celebrate milestones. And so mm -hmm. at those times, you know, you pull out your money for your birthday and, you know, you treat your friends. Or you sit down and you're like, you know what, I want to move into my first apartment. So you only see me outside for the, last, for the next six weeks or six months, you know. Yeah. But you, you, have to, you have to know where you are in, in that. Um, if I can jump off of what he's saying, my response would have been similar to the point you mentioned always remaining conscious of where you are on the spectrum. And I'd like to add to that, you must always remember to live a purpose-driven life. Try to call your mind back whenever you see an inclination to go closer to either end. Try to call your mind back to what your purpose is. Why are you working? What are you hoping to achieve? If I go closer to point A, right, would that affect my purpose in any way? Or would it further it? Would it affect it negatively, adversely? And, you know, always try to get that mental check. It should be permanent. They're like a sticky note always edging at you like, okay, this is what I need to address my mind to whenever I'm making a financial decision. And think about longevity and the creation of a legacy long after you are gone. That ties into your purpose too in life. You know, you're not just here for the now. You're here to make a foot, leave a footprint, especially in my case. I have two kids. I have two children to follow after me. So they inform my judgment on a daily, not just when I go to swipe my card. You know, I want them to have something tangible to, you know, last when I'm gone. I think two things I'd want to add. I think the first is that that is what makes sessions like these so important. Financial literacy and people understanding um, the general concept of managing their finances, regardless of what that means for them. Um, and secondly, I think family values play an instrumental part in, in striking that balance, not ending up on either side of the spectrum. Um, and, and this has been my lived experience, so of course it's limited to my view. I'm a compulsive spender, and, and it's so bad. It's not something I'm proud of. Um, but I'm learning to better manage my resources, my financial resources, um, 
because I'm conscious of the experience that I would have had as a child growing up. So I'd go out and I'd spend the money and I'd not even worry, like ridiculous sums of money I would spend. That's right? making a bad round. <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous by my standard. Ridiculous could be 4,000, 5,000. Right? <laughs> right? Um, but then there are moments in my head where, like, Kirabi, you have to start building your house soon. Mm-hmm. Right? This is not sustainable. You know, you're not going to accomplish this if you keep doing that. So, it's not that I've not been making progress there, but because of the family values which were imparted in me as a child, listen, you spend, and, and I think that compulsiveness or that compulsive spending behavior comes from, it really came from my family because my parents are really the total opposite. My dad was a compulsive spender. My mom, she's not a hoarder, but she's like a borderline hoarder then, right? She's, she manages her resources Prudently, um, so she's more under you know invest in assets and save, and that is like you have know, five thousand dollar, we spending all of it on fast food, yeah. right? So I'm like more to him, um, so I'm learning to strike that balance. But but it it it's a demonstration of how important family values are, because even though I took a lot from him, I'm still conscious of how important owning your ho- own home is. I'm still conscious of how important it is to have a car, to save for your family, for retirement, you know, for your children's education. Those things are equally important or even more important rather than living in the moment, right? Um, But I think it's important for people to understand that it doesn't necessarily mean you deprive yourself of the little luxuries that life affords to you. So, you know, go to a movie, you know, enjoy some fast food occasionally if you can have it. Um, you want to wear a brand or two as long as it doesn't exhaust your resources to the point where you're going out of your way to get it. Do it, right? Do it. But of course, striking that balance is so, so important. And I just want to add really quickly what um, Ryan said earlier really resonated with me in terms of college. Uh, I think some of the most valuable lessons in life were taught to me there, being on your own. Oh boy, it teaches you so much about managing your resources. And quite often, I I tell friends, I'm broke. And I'm not broke because I have reserve. I have an adequate amount of money that could take care of me for months. But I'm saying I'm broke because if something goes south, you know, there's a medical emergency or something like that, I have reserves that can take care of me. Um, And those those are lessons that, that you need to take with you as as you experience these things you you need to take from them uh what you can and 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 take it through life and and again i i agree with ryan that not because you would have faced those traumatic experiences um you know you yeah you need to have your kids relive it or your children relive those experiences there's a reason you were taught those lessons and not your kids right i know much quickly it's, it's, it's beyond just expending and hoarding as well. But there, there are a lot of these other valuable lessons that we learn that help us in terms of, you know, the, the dollar value at the end of the day, how much we actually save or how much we actually um, are securing. Because I remember for CXC, there was a period of time where we were in blackout. I studied for CXC some days in the moonlight, right? And 
Not one of those habits that I've developed is in my own home is when I'm going to bed at night, the lights are off. The microwave is plugged out when I'm leaving if, after I'm finished using it. And uh, you know, that helps in terms of the light mm. bill, right? Yeah. And so there's some of those practices like we oftentimes, you know, oftentimes say, you know, the past is the past, forget it, whatever. But I find value in sometimes going back into those moments because you sometimes back then you don't appreciate some of the things or some of the lessons. But now you sit down, you think about it, and you're like, you know what? I can make better decisions. Or, you know, you weren't in control of those decisions at that time. But now you're in control of the decisions that you make about right. your, your finances and about how you save and so forth. And I got friends that call me out every weekend, literally. Yo, let me go, buddy, walk on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I don't want to go. You know, and it's not that I can't afford to go, but we're on, diff we're on different wavelengths, mm -hmm. right? And maybe you're on a wavelength where you can afford to go mm -hmm. as well as, you know, you know, realize your goals and invest in your goals at the, at the same time. But everybody, and for me, that works for me. And so I've had to make that decision that, hey, you know what? This is where I want to go. Purpose. Mm -hmm. These are my values. And so... Now is not the time for me to go outside or inside or I'm calling a big But you know, um, that's that's an important conversation that we need to have with ourselves as it relates to where we are on the spectrum and where on the spectrum is absolutely necessary for us to achieve the goal within the timelines that we set for ourselves. Uh -huh. There's some things on my board right now I look at and I say, I'm not gonna be able to achieve them this year, but I'm closer to achieving them. Right. So they're going they're gonna stay up on the board for next year, but I'm comfortable because I'm making the decisions that will get me to that point. A lot to unpack from each one of our guests. And I'm going to give each of you 15 seconds. 15 seconds, right? To just say a final few words for young people watching that are thinking about starting their own families. 15 seconds of advice. All right, I'm gonna start. Um, most of what we've been saying here hinges a lot on validation. I think it came out in one of the point Ryan made, validation and, and the approval that we seek from people, especially fueled by social media. Um, and, and that's so important when it comes to managing your financial resources because we want people's approval. We pop the champagnes and the Hennessy and we wear the latest brands and we overspend because we want people to think we have it. You know, we got money. You know, we wear the biggest gold chain and because of validation. And I'll tell young people, really and truly, it isn't worth it. Because at the end of the day, you end up the loser. You know, so it's, it's, it's important to condition your mind to understand where you are in life, where you want to go, and how you'll get there. Yes, my advice would be to firstly not equate your self-worth with your net worth, right? And to always live a purpose-driven life and let that let your purpose always dictate and determine your choices. And whenever you find yourself deviating from that, you just make a conscious effort it's never too late to turn back and fix it and always seek advice from those who would have come before you and especially your family if there are good values there let those be your guide great great <laughs> advice uh 
two, two 15 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> the first one is more questions oriented. Why do you want to start a family now? Um, are you financially stable to take care of yourself? And if the answer to that question is yes, are you financially stable and secure to take care of other people? Because that is a commitment that you're making to another person's life and persons because if you're going to have kids, that's part of it as well. And do you know where you want to take your family? Because that's a big part of a conversation that you need to have. Where are we going to be going? And so as much as we're talking finances, you have to talk about your values and you have to talk about your trajectory and your growth and ultimately the fairy tale life that you want. And if you're not ready, don't let anybody force you into that. And the second, the second 15 seconds is towards persons who, I know there are quite a few young people out there who started families and for want of a better term, by accident or by incident, however you want to put it. And so you find yourself in a situation where you have to take care of a child or, or children and you know somebody's um, daughter or somebody's son, if you're the one that's the breadwinner. But regardless of where you are right now, you can decide today where you want to go and you can navigate your path. You can change the trajectory of your life by making better decisions. It starts now. It starts with that one decision. So don't see it as a mistake. See it as an opportunity. Excellent stuff. And I would like to express sincere gratitude to Ravi and Shakiza and Ryan for uh, being here tonight, and I know all of our viewers have been blessed and filled with a lot of the knowledge and the gems that have been shared tonight. And I want to encourage you guys to tune back in again next week, Thursday, at 7 p.m. live on Georgetown Capital on Facebook, Common Sense, and YouTube. And next week, we'll be going to the streets as we bring in the man on the streets to share their financial experiences and how they how they navigate their finances so uh, next week do remember to tune back in we're gonna have uh, some really fun guests uh, people that have been through some turbulent financial situations and are hustling as we would say and again, I want you to invite all of your friends and families to, to log in next week and to be a part of the conversation. And also don't forget to grab your Lucasaid uh, for the opportunity to wear a Toyota Hilux. You know, you can save some money, take that <laughs> off of your board. Just drink some Lucasaid and you never know, you can be the new owner of a brand new Toyota Hilux. So, once again, thank you very much, guys, and enjoy the rest of your evening or your day wherever you're watching. And don't forget, use your common sense.